Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter, episode 34. And we're closing in on a year that we've been doing the Health Chatter podcast. It's been it's been really special. Uh, all the different people we've talked about, all the different topics that we've covered, and we have many, many more to go. So stay tuned on that. Today's show is on on suicide, and we'll get into that in a second. We'll introduce our, our illustrious guest. As I always do, I'd like to introduce our, our, our great crew that helps us put the uh, Health Chatter podcast together. We have Maddie Levine-Wolf and Aaron Collins who back who do our background research for us on all the different topics that we have. They give us enough just so that Clarence and I can be dangerous when we ask questions, right, mm-hmm. Clarence? That's right. <laughs> and then um, we have Matthew Campbell, who is our production manager, puts together all the logistics of getting the shows out edited and music attached to them etc so thank you to these these special people and then of course there's clarence who's really special i feel like i i every not, every, not sure but special right yeah yeah you're very special. okay okay I, I you know whenever we do this show i always like to give clarence kind of a, a virtual bear hug yeah because because uh, we're we're really great colleagues he provides the great community perspective to the the conversation that we have on all these health issues and then also i'd like to thank human partnership which uh clarence is involved with intimately it's a community group that that deals with a lot of different health issues community related issues for the african-american population but it's interesting they spell their their organization h-u-e M-A-N, which means, you know what? It doesn't matter what color we all are. We all have the same things that we need to talk about and try to solve together, especially in the in the health arena. So special thank you to them as well. Today we're doing a, a show. It's a sad kind of topic for sure, but it's an important topic. It's on suicide. And we have two great guests with us Mark Kindy and and Tanya Carter, both from the Minnesota Department of Health. I've known Mark for a long, long time. This is kind of special. We were we were really connected at the hip, so to speak, because our offices literally were right next door, and we often kidded each other that we were going to somehow or other one day drill a hole in between the two so we could shut our doors, and he and I could just you know chat away. But uh, but we did. Regardless, we had some really really good collegial talks together, and he's he's really a consummate public health professional. He's been the manager and director for the injury and violence prevention unit at the Department of Health for how many years now, Mark? Tell me. Well, we're we started in 1990. So 90. Wow. Okay. 33 years. Wow. 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 And I thought I was I was old at 18. But (laughs) but at any rate, it was it was truly great, great working with you. And uh, we still are in contact with with one another. So thank you for joining us today. And then, of course, we have his his associate. Tanya Carter, who's the supervisor specifically of the suicide prevention unit at the department uh, at the Department of Health, Minnesota Department of Health, she reports to to Mark. And you were previously in the behavioral health division, right? Or the you were in that arena at the Department of Health prior to that. So thank you both for for being with us. So um oh my goodness where do we start with with this subject? I I read through all the the information and um you know what there was a word that really popped in my head and that was desperation. It's like when somebody gets to this point of uh considering suicide or actually following through with it there is this level of uh, truly of of uh desperation so um give me you know both of you why don't you just give us for our listening audience kind of your sense 
of the subject matter from um, a professional point of view. Go ahead, Tanya. You know, suicide, it, it affects it affects all of us. We're all affected by suicide in one way or another, whether us ourselves have had thoughts of suicide or um, we know somebody that has died by suicide. But Stan, I think you bring up um, the word desperation. So we're all seeking that connection of some sort. And it honestly, not all of us have that connection, whether that's to our family or friends or neighborhoods. But one thing that I like to um, express to everyone, we all have the opportunity to go outside, to connect with nature, to be in that natural environment. And so that's, that's one area that we've really been kind of shifting some focus as we think about the connection that we all need um, to somebody so that we maybe aren't headed in a path of that desperation per se. Yeah. Yeah. Clarence, what do you have to say? Yeah. Your word was desperation. My word was denial. Hmm. Interesting. And can you talk about that? Because I think that, that, that when we talk about this particular topic, it's a lot of denial of, so anyway, I, that, that, that was just my word for the day. Mark, what do you have to, what's your sense of all of this? I mean, you've been in this arena a long time and um, yeah. and it's kind of like if you just sit back for, for a second and kind of look at the, um, the background of the whole subject, mm -hmm. wh what's your sense of it? Well, I'll build on, on what, um, Tanya shared with the importance of connection, but actually really linking to Clarence, you're thinking about denial, because I think the the word that we've used in the mental health promotion, the wellness arena is, is stigma. And that denial of, of what's going on, the denial of, of pain, my pain within, it might be physical, it might be emotional, spiritual, the, that, and so it, yeah, absolutely denial. And because of, I, I think that, and, and this is how our brains work. We start thinking that we're the only one. I'm, I, Stan or Clarence don't have it as bad as I do, and they certainly wouldn't understand. They might think less of me as a man, as a person, if I, if I share with them that I'm hurting, if I'm share with them that peace, the perspectives aren't coming together and that I feel like I'm not being able to um, produce as a as a worker, as a colleague, that I'm not being able to function as a in community or in family, that I'm I'm failing as a father, and so all of those kind of deeper needs and and emotions start that are real, right? The emotions yeah. are real, the thoughts and the feelings, but it ties into, I think exactly the word Clarence that you said and that denial. So if I pretend it's not there, right? And we we know this for so Stan led the the heart disease program for the state of Minnesota. We often would tease each other as office mates that uh, he dealt with the the physical heart, mm -hmm. and my team dealt with the uh, with the emotional and spiritual heart. So we yeah, were both dealing, we were both dealing with heart disease, right? Um, right, right. But the uh, um this 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 pain if if i pretend that i don't have clogged arteries or high cholesterol um or the signs and symptoms of a stroke the, the only thing that happens is it gets worse and i die right and i think that's really true in this in the emotional mental well-being arena as well if i deny it it doesn't help anyone uh yeah. it certainly doesn't help myself well as soon as i start to be able to admit that that things aren't working well that i need help that i think is that first 
start to healing. But I'm I'm learning so much from Tanya and her team. So let me, Tanya, how does this resonate with you? I think, Mark, you bring up a really valid point that we talk about often in our field is thinking about our mental health just as important as our physical health, which we all we all have mental health. We all have that brain. Um, we all know what to do when, you know, somebody is experiencing a heart attack. We know we need to call 911. We know we probably need to give CPR. But what do we do when our mental health is affected? I mean, right now, it's great that we have our 988 suicide and crisis lifeline that anyone can call, you know, 24 seven, 365 days a year when they are maybe struggling with their um, mental health or having that suicidal ideation. So we're moving in that direction as a field. Are we there yet? I don't necessarily think so, but we're moving in that direction to, you know, demonstrate that, yes, our physical health is just as important as that mental and emotional health that we have. So let me ask you something based on, on your experience and maybe the um, the background epidemiological aspects of, of all of this. Um, typically speaking, and maybe there's not an answer to this question, but typically speaking, at what level do you see a person at literally right before they might commit suicide? I mean, and the reason I bring this question up is this. All of us are depressed at one point or another. Okay, something happens or something affects you or, or whatever. All of us get anxious about something one way or the other throughout our life. Okay, there are certain things, but what at what level does it get to when somebody really is that desperate, I guess? I think that's the million dollar question, Stan, that we pro we don't necessarily have the answer to the question. Um, everyone, everyone is affected and impacted with their thoughts and emotions at different times. And I mean, if we could predict what was going to lead somebody for suicide, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation today, right? Yeah, that's probably true. Um, so I don't I don't have an answer, but a lot of times, you know, what pushes maybe somebody to that point of really having that thoughts of suicide, it it may be as simple as um an argument with a family member or a friend, a loss of a job. Um a, a major life stressor or a change in their environment that's beyond their control. Um, yeah. Clarence, what, what, what do you think? Well, you know, I was going to, I was going to ask this particular question uh, right prior to us getting on, on the uh, show tonight. I mean, show today, uh, Maddie was uh, talking about her generation millennials and the number of uh, suicides that, that are occurring within that population. I grew up in a time where, <clears throat> from an African-American community, I'm a more seasoned person. We didn't talk about suicide. You know, it was just not something that that was that was that was uh, recognized, or it just didn't happen to us. You know, other folks did it, but it didn't happen to us. I want to know. I want to talk about statistics. I want to talk about you know, there is a big gap between Maddie's understanding and my understanding, and I don't know how we stand. You know. How it how it was with with your generation, all the way in the same generation, kind of sort of our <laughs> generation. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know about the, 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 this is a major issue. What's 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 what are the stats? What's going on? Yeah, great great questions. Um, so let's let's lean in on that a little bit. So the the last few years in Minnesota. Um, things are are getting worse. And in terms of our numbers, um, in 2020, we had uh, 758 Minnesotans die by suicide. That's and, just Minnesota. Yeah. You know, for Minnesota. our listening audience, think about, you know, multiply that, you know, across the United States. Right. In, in 2021, we exceeded 800. So we went from 758 to 808. 
2022, we're still counting uh, and and finalizing those numbers, but it looks like we'll be between 8.30 and 8.50, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. So the, the experience, um, I think you, you're right, uh, Clarence, in thinking about, you know, you didn't talk about it as much and or it happened to other people um in in minnesota there are kind of two two scenarios there there are to maddie's point an increasing number of young people who are dying by suicide but it's 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 older white men um Mm. stands and mark's age and it's our american indian men men and women but primarily men and that and it starts younger with american indians in minnesota so again that's minnesota is that also the trend that we're seeing nationally as well in those population groups or is it differ a little bit state by state you know let me yield back to uh tanya i think it it does vary some by state because I just I think about Minnesota and I focus on Minnesota. I, I can't, I'm aware of what's going on in the nation. But Tanya, can you speak to the nation? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. I think so to reflect what Mark said, um, we've kind of in suicide prevention, the suicide field, we've seen kind of that yo-yo effect per se of you know 2019 we've seen that increase in suicides 2020 seen that decrease and then 2021 we're back up again and 22 numbers are looking about the same and that's true nationwide they're they're seeing that kind of yo-yo effect per se and with regards to um other states as it relates to um numbers the youth tend to have that higher rate of suicide as well as that middle-aged population. So we're, Minnesota is similar, very similar to what other states are seeing. Yeah. So let me ask you something, you know, previously before we, we've had a show on um, fentanyl, you know, and drug use. And I know, you know, Mark and your unit, you, you deal with, with these things as well. Tell me is how, um, the distinction that is made from a public health point of view between an overdose death and suicide. So is an overdose, maybe the question is, is an overdose death considered a suicide? The the short answer is, is no, not always, but it, okay. but it can be. Okay. So Tanya and our, uh, drug overdose epidemiology unit led by mm-hmm. Nate Wright and his team. They're working and trying to unpack the the classification question. Mm-hmm. Some because I can die by suicide in a variety of ways. One of which is a drug overdose. Correct. But most of the <clears throat> drug overdoses are so far are categorized as as. Un- unintentional. I, I I intended to use a drug, but mm-hmm. I didn't intend to die by a drug. Okay. And so Tanya and her team have a number of different uh, factors that they weigh. Um, did I did I leave a note? Had I been talking about dying by suicide before I used this drug that I didn't know was laced with fentanyl, or you know, and so I so there are a number of these factors that that weigh in that they try to the medical examiner law enforcement uh, attending physicians try to put together to to discern a a cause of death or a manner of death tanya am i summarizing that correctly you nailed it mark so i want to ask this question traditionally uh in the past when we looked at suicides we looked at them in terms of like white males middle-aged males, ethnic groups, those kinds of things. But are there high-risk groups now? I mean, you know, once again, getting back to this this millennial age, are there now starting to be a indicators of special uh, of groups with special, uh, say, I don't want to say the word issues, but 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 special, uh, specifically spe- specifically people that are having uh, specific issues 
that are we're finding more deaths in? Well, a great question. I I think in in Minnesota, so what we're seeing is if if you're an older white male living in greater Minnesota, there's more chance to you know, build on what Tanya shared earlier about this connection issue. The the more disconnected I am, the the greater risk. Now, for some of our millennials, the disconnection can be um, different. And this is a, it's a generalization. Yeah. And I, I might be living in an urban area in a, in a apartment complex filled with a thousand people. And I am as disconnected as the older white man living in rural Minnesota because of of what's happened with the use of a variety of of social media i may there's a a pseudo connection right i have an electronic connection but not someone who cares about me not someone who's connected with with my doing well and being well and i think with our uh, um american indian rates in minnesota uh, again from starting much earlier than older white men, um, there's an array of of factors that contribute from um, long-term uh, trauma mm-hmm. to that goes back for generations. Now, other groups have dealt with with trauma and have. And and are and I think our American Indian Indians in Minnesota are doing the same kind of healing and speaking hope and and working through the issues of of stigma that have when we can't talk about something it makes it very difficult to start working on it to start building in hope and healing and I think for me that's the message that I've come back to as Tanya and her team of have taught have helped me frame what we do about and how we respond that there is mark there is hope and there is healing and i don't have to and and that people care about me and are interested in me i don't have to go out and say it's not worth living the pain is too great um i'm gonna die yeah i think i started to spin off Do you have adverse childhood experiences? Our ACEs have higher ACE scores. Um, and then most recently, our 2022 Minnesota student survey data was released. And we're seeing those youth um, who are um, having more suicidal ideation or mental health distress than they than we've seen in previous years. So I, you know, if I had to say that, um, you know, more like other populations are at a higher risk than others. I mean, it would go back to what you said, Mark, and that American Indian, our middle-aged white male. And then I would also add like our youth, the ages of 10 to 21 are um, at a greater risk of suicide. And let me, let me bring up a couple of, of, of points here. Um, I just got done, just kind of put this in a little bit of perspective and then I'll, I'll circle it around. I just got done reading a biography of, of Thomas Jefferson. And, um, you know, besides how great a man it was and all this other stuff, oh my God, the things that that man had to endure personally, professionally, politically, um, frankly, would have put <laughs> any one of us over the edge, okay? Um, I mean, deaths in his family, you know, kids dying, um, wives dying, him getting very, very sick, a variety of different things. So my my question is, are there situational components or situational variables that lend themselves to um, more suicides? 
for instance, uh, we just got or we're getting through hopefully COVID, for instance, as there are stressors that happen to all of us. And, and I would assume that some of us deal with it differently, um, maybe in more healthy ways than, than others. Can, can either one of you respond to that, the idea of stressors in somebody's lives that, or, or just environmental-oriented stressors that, that just emergencies that come upon us and the effect on suicide rates? So I, again, I don't have a particular stressor that we can necessarily pinpoint to somebody um, thinking or wanting to die by suicide. Um, Are there, do we see more suicides when certain things like emergencies happen out there, like, you know, like a COVID or there's a, an economic downturn or, you know, I'm looking at these broad spectrum types of variables do we see upticks or is it pretty stable regardless of those types of things yeah so with covid i mean we're not going to know for a long time whether or not our numbers as it relates i mean as they relate um whether yeah. or not they were impacted by covid hopefully 10 20 years down the road we'll have an answer that we can say yes, COVID impacted our suicide rates or no, COVID did not. Um, one thing that we do see um, an increase in suicides typically is when um, there's a media influence who dies by suicide. At mm. times we see an uptick in that, particularly we've seen an uptick in suicides when Robin Williams um, died um, as well as Kate Spade. Um, so that is one thing that we have seen um, increase, but otherwise, I can't pinpoint a specific event where we, or disaster or anything where we had seen, you know, or have seen that higher suicides than others. Okay. The, so the, let me ask this question then. Um, and I want to get back, I want to get this question back to the groups. Uh, we were talking about uh, uh, when you did the when when you did the uh, the student survey, uh, were there indicators like uh, bullying, uh, sexual abuse? I mean, were there were there things in there that 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 we could look at to say that these are the kinds of things that young people are experiencing that might lead them to to have to create suicide or to have suicides, or was it? Because I put plus, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm. This is this is from a community perspective. This is real quick. This come from the research. Everything like that. Okay. I yeah. uh, Our young people are underneath. We just talked about this. They're underneath a lot of media pressure. There's a lot of bullying going on. There's a lot of sexual violence going on. There's a lot of child abuse going on. You know, all these things are there and. Are these the kinds of things that and I'm just trying to name something? I'm not being too general. I'm going to be real specific. Are these the kinds of things that wish that we're seeing that or that that people are experiencing that's also creating more suicides because they're not being addressed? Yeah. So the factors that you're talking about are absolutely real and and count as in and and some age groups are more vulnerable to to the bullying to taking advantage of someone emotionally socially um bullying happens among adults but it's it's packaged a little differently in general as the teen brain is developing teens are absolutely malleable and susceptible and and it's part of that you know the the viewing someone as other so in with adults it might be folks with disability. We see it with when folks start looking at when you mentioned the the human partnership, the human partnership, folks of by color or by by race or ethnicity. Um, Stan, we've known over the years folks who be because they were Jewish or Muslim, 
we're not allowed to do or say or have certain jobs or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it happens and has happened in, here in Minnesota. Um, so those are those are real factors, Clarence, that you identify as the of how bullying can happen. And I think you know what what again the pieces that I've learned back. So because then I ask myself, well, how do we work at preventing? at building strengths, at building connection. And that's what among the things that Tanya and her team are doing with a variety of of grant programs and community connections, helping us as as individuals within culture, within community, build connection, address the areas where there are, are hurts or weaknesses or gaps, um, I guess I was, the other piece. Let me just, since I'm, I'm speaking on that. The there was when we look back at the depression, um, economic great economic recession about a hundred years ago. In retrospect, there were a number. The suicides increased as the 1920s uh, moved into the early 30s. Um, we, we didn't. You know, we we described it after the fact, and so to Tanya's point, we'll probably more fully understand the impact of the pandemic um, a, a few years from now. You know, during the depression, I mean, you know, the the Great Depression, you know, people were jumping out of buildings, right? You know, and they were they were taking their lives again. Um, in that case, based on based on a uh, a particular situation, so in here's the, a, here's yeah in the, in the in the 1980s, um, we saw from 85 to 88 or 89 a great um, a, an increase in the number of farm families who had yeah. family members dying by suicide as as land prices um, skyrocketed as payments as, as we wrestled with farming transitions from small farmers to big large farms incorporated farms we had a number of farm families who had uh death by suicide yeah and, maddie you have a couple of questions for us yeah i do um i'll start with maybe one that is a little bit more a little bit simpler um because i noticed you um both Mark and Tanya have been saying this, but I've been, I've been reading and seeing um, some literature talking about shifting away from the term committed suicide to um, death or died by suicide. And I assume that's intentional language is always adapting. Um, And so I'm just, I'm curious about your perspective as to maybe why, why that happened. Maddie, that's a really good question. Thanks for bringing that up. It's something that I love talking about too. Um, You're right, there has been that cultural shift or language shift per se. Um, When we think, like when we say the word committed, the first thing that typically comes to our minds is maybe somebody committed a crime or somebody committed something. And so when we think about suicide, a person is not committing suicide, like they're not committing anything. So we're um, moving and we're shifting our language to say like died by suicide or suicide death or ended or took their own life. And it's also something um, that we've heard from lost survivors. So those who have lost somebody from suicide, um, that they've really encouraged us as, as you know, a community to really think about how we're talking about somebody who has, you know, taken their life um, by suicide. You know, you bring up a good, a good um, component of this. Okay, so let's play this out. Somebody um, dies by, by suicide. Let's talk about the effects of, on those that are left behind. And what I mean, it's not just suicide for for the person that that dies by suicide, but it's also the effects on family, friends, colleagues. I mean, so where where do we deal with all of that? 
Yeah, when a person takes their life by suicide, it affects many, many different people at many different levels. So it impacts that family, yeah. it may, it, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and it, it just continues to ripple across. And so w- one thing that we've really, you know, continue to shift is like talking how we talk about suicide, making sure that we're talking about it in a safe way so that we're not re-traumatizing an individual. So when we talk about how someone died, making sure that we're not, you know, saying the the manner, like how they took their life. Um, Because when we talk about that, it could paint a visual in somebody's head. So really thinking about that um, as well. And that can also decrease the impact that the, you know, the loss of that life does have on, you know, multiple people beyond. Yeah. Maddie, you had a follow-up. Um, yeah, I do. And actually, Tanya, something that you just said in terms of talking about like the mechanism of how people die by suicide. Um, however, I, when I was putting together the background research for this, I saw on a bunch of different graphs and charts that firearms were the leading cause of or have been historically over time a leading cause of or leading mechanism um, for death by suicide. And I was just curious, you know, I don't want this conversation to get super political if we can avoid it, but I am curious to know if there's any dialogue or conversation around that and what I consider to be a pretty easy access to firearms in this country. I'm just curious as to what that that conversation kind of looks like, if there's a connection there. So I can um, start and then maybe Mark wants to pick up where I leave off, but I can speak specifically to what we're doing here in Minnesota is Uh, The topic of gun violence, um, which includes death by suicide, has been a topic of conversation at the Department of Health, as well as with other um, state agencies, specifically with our Department of Public Safety, um, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, Both Department of Public Safety and the Department of Veterans Affairs are currently offering free um, gun locks. Um, And they're doing some public um, safety campaigns as it relates to locking the firearm. What we know is if we put time and space between an individual and their means, that that can save a life. And so Mm. that's really been the topic of conversation and our primary focus um, here within the suicide prevention team and the work that we're doing. You know, time and space, that's an interesting angle on this, the more time and space you give somebody, the greater likelihood that you can hopefully, hopefully prevent. You know, I encourage, by the way, our audience, uh, we did a couple of shows on not gun violence, gun safety. We focused on gun safety. And I encourage you to to listen to those shows. Go ahead, Mark. The the, the, uh, time and space seems to be particularly important for younger people who who mm. tend to be more spontaneous who tend to be and when when i'm influenced by alcohol or other drugs across the age spectrum that that has impact but in general um a number of many of our deaths by suicide of young people um, are are not as planned out as as those of us who are older, where where there's a greater intentionality, a greater plan and preparation. All the more important to for the the array of policy approaches to try to have create that time and space to have safe storage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the it, it especially makes a difference for our younger people who, given that extra time, uh, both time for intervention from we who are family and friends, time to to realize that oh it's the sun is going to come up, it's not 
it's not quite as bleak as I thought. But if I, death by suicide is one of those things that, that you, you don't go back on. Yeah. You know, it's not, you don't get a redo. Right. And so creating that time and space that Tanya talked about is just mission critical. Yeah. So hey. let's talk about uh, a little bit about prevention here. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I there's there's part of me that says when when somebody is contemplating suicide that it's kind of a a personal thing, okay, that's going on in in their their hands. So, from a professional standpoint, from a friend standpoint, from a family perspective, um, when do when does somebody need to be on high alert? Okay, that there's somebody over here that might be contemplating how what what do we look for? What you know for the listening audience here, what what should they be aware of that should be part of their their toolbox going forward? I think that's a good question, Jay, because I was gonna add to that just by saying the language. What's what's the language that we need to be aware of that people yeah, are saying? That too. Uh, before or giving us clues about how they're really how they are really really feeling correct, uh, correct. you know uh, and uh that's so that yeah i would be interested too yeah so i you know paying attention to what you see what you hear um individuals saying so if somebody may be saying is clearly and directly like I'm thinking about killing myself. That's it. I mean, huge, That's, huge alarm, right? Yeah, That's pretty right. straightforward. Right. But then you might have somebody who, you know, maybe they're acting a little bit more unusual than they um, typically are. Maybe they're a really happy person and their mood is very subdued. Um, that is, you know, a warning sign to say, hey, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? Starting a conversation. Um you know, somebody may be talking about being a burden to themselves or to others. That's an also a really huge red flag. Um, maybe somebody who is typically on time for work or on time for school or has really good grades. And you see like all of that start to deteriorate. That might also be a good time to say, hey, you know, what's going on? Um, how can I help you? Um, I always say your gut tells you everything. So if there's any inclination that you're like, ooh, something just doesn't like seem right with somebody, it, it you might be on to something and just sitting down and having the conversation. I think the biggest piece of advice that I could give to anybody is if you have that inclination that somebody's thinking about suicide, asking them openly and directly, are you thinking about suicide? is the best way to go because number one, it's letting you letting that person know that they care. It's also asking openly and directly about suicide. Yeah. And just by asking about suicide, you're not going to put that idea in someone's head. Cause let's be real. We're not that influential of people. If I ask <laughs> you Stan to give me half your retirement, you're going to be like, no way. Tanya. So um, I'll react. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, what's your sense on that? It's like, you know, I, you know, maybe it's, you know, CDC, I know, has these things called warning signs. Um, you see changes in behavior. They're talking about it. Um, you see differences in um, how they feel. Um, yeah. What's your sense it's, on it? No, it, you've, you've described it correctly. And Tanya described correctly, again, the, the things to, to, of which to be aware. And then, and, and some of the, the, the training programs that we do, um, we have what we call QPR question, persuade, refer. Hmm. We have a number of other uh, approaches that we can use for equipping friends and family members and and congregations of worship uh, across from uh, our archdioceses to our rabbis to our imams getting our our faith communities active and involved yeah and and knowing how to going back to Clarence's first question about that denial to say you know how I'm doing is real and to let 
us people know that you matter. Yeah. And, yeah. and I care and we care and your being here makes a difference. Right. And you being gone makes a it difference. Makes a difference. Yeah. And so I think those are, are some of the key um, approaches and the way that in community in Minnesota, we're trying to, to, to talk about it again, going back to Clarence's first uh, comment about denial. We, we want to talk about it. And, and to Tanya's point, ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I, you know, some of you know, I, I, I deal with um, orthopedic patients who are going through um, knee surgery and um, whenever I go in and visit with them, the first question I ask them, what's your pain level? You know, on, a, on one to 10, give me your, your pain level. And you know something, to a certain extent, that 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 connects with this issue, too. You know, if somebody is, is contemplating uh, suicide, they, they're in pain. I mean, I would, I think... Yeah. Yes. And, you know, maybe it's an appropriate question in that sense, too. It's like, what's your pain at? I mean, let's talk about it. Um, anyway, Maddie, any other final thoughts from, from you? Um, no, I think that everything Mark and Tanya said was really thought-provoking. And Mark, I think how you kind of just synthesized a lot of the prevention efforts was really beautiful. Um, and obviously, among my generation, mental health is talked about all the time. Um, and I think the more we can talk about mental health and normalize conversations and notion of mental health will will hopefully make a difference um, in this in this um really, really severe and critical issue. So thank you for, for your perspective and your thoughts. It's been really eye-opening. Clarence, what do you think? I'm happy. I'm happy with this conversation. I'm happy that, that, that I had the opportunity to learn more. I'm happy that uh, we are going to be sharing this information with our community. And uh, I'm hoping that people will will seriously listen to what has been said yeah. and look out for warning signs and look out for ways in which to engage people to find out how they really, really are doing. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm grateful as well. So yeah, thank me, you. Me too. Tanya and, and and Mark, some some parting thoughts here. I've got one for sure, but go ahead. I just wanted to say thank you. Um, but no, like there is help. There is hope. And you're not alone in this journey. And so if you yourself are finding yourself struggling um, or somebody you know, don't hesitate to reach out to 988, the National um, Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Um, someone is there always to talk. Yeah, Mark. Thank you. Great, great summary. I think if we can... Um, in this conversation, uh, help folks to realize that 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 they're not alone, and that people care. Because I think the greatest lie that we tell ourselves and that we're told is that this is only me, and I've got to I've got to take care of it myself, and no one else will really understand. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and when I get alone and start listening to the voices in my head, then it just goes deeper. Yeah. Because um and and that's when I start to lose hope. Yeah. But when I when I realize that and that I'm, I acknowledge the pain. So to your excellent opening question, Stan, what's what's your pain level? Mm -hmm. And I realize and I'm willing to ask for help. I, I move out of that denial that Clarence talked about. I'm bre we're breaking down the stigma. Um, there, there will be hope. Then we'll be, we'll be hope dealers. Yeah, we'll be uh, healing bringers to our communities. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that um, in this um, Zoom world that we're in. Um, it takes away um, one major thing, and that's um, being able to hug one another if you need it. 
and um, that personal touch, I think, is is really, I, I I think I'm not a professional in this area, but I think helps, or it certainly would help knowing that if somebody is is that um, is hurting that much, you know, simple hug can can be helpful. Um, 988 988 if um and i want to emphasize that if you know if you know of anybody that's that's thinking about this or if you need assistance or what have you that's that's the number to call we reserve the right to call you back you know with other issues that come up around this and for that matter if you want to use us health chatter as a method to get more information out there to the public, all you have to do is is contact us and off we go. Okay, so um, thank you dearly so much. You guys are, are are both dear professionals, and and I thank you really dearly from the bottom of my heart for addressing this issue and having it out there uh, for the public. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. To our listening audience, we have great shows uh, coming up. Our next show is with um, Jeremy Olson, who is the uh, the newspaper writer on health issues at the uh, the Star Tribune, and uh, we'll be we'll be uh, taping that that show next week. In the meantime, for everybody out there, keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes, and I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, helpchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Help Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's helpchatterpodcast.com. Thank you.